can't get enough of football? Chance, goal, superhuman, special, special goal. Incredible, just incredible. Now you can get the inside look. Welcome to Football Insiders, your home for informed, insightful and independent opinion, news and talk on football from the team behind Fair Play Publishing and the Football Writers Festival. Oh, what an introduction! Welcome to the second Football Insiders podcast, the podcast home for Fair Play Publishing and the Football Writers Festival. In case you missed our first episode with Trevor Thompson, I'll recap briefly on what we're doing and why. And it's quite simple. We want to reach out to football fans, particularly those who love to think and read about all aspects of the game, and talk to some of our authors, writers, and the readers and thinkers out there as well. Because the COVID-19 restrictions mean that we had to cancel the Football Writers Festival scheduled for the end of May, Football Insiders will bring the festival, and even more, straight to you. So grab a coffee and enjoy the listen as we talk today with Jason Goldsmith, the author of Surfing for England, Our Lost Socceroos which Fair Play Publishing published last year. Welcome, Jason. Hi, Benita. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. So first things worse, first, I should say, how are you dealing with social isolation? Uh, it's an interesting one. I'm, I'm uh, able to work from home anyway, so that's good, and so is my wife. Um, entertaining a six- and a nine-year-old has its challenges. So um, it's been good. I thought I'd be able to do a bit more writing, uh, than I actually have given the, all the time at home. But uh, I have managed to watch a few TV series and, uh, and uh, get into a few extra books as well, which is helping. But uh, a lot of the time is trying to get the, keep the family sane and, and perhaps get out at least once a day and go for a bike ride or a walk or a run uh, and keep everyone active. Uh, six and nine-year-old on holidays? They are. So uh, here in Victoria, they went on uh, school holidays a week early. Um, and so they had three weeks school holidays and they're supposed to be, or well, they are going back uh, this week coming, but uh, remote learning. So they'll be, uh, I, don't, I don't know what it looks like, but they'll be learning from home. Right. I can tell you from uh, my experience with all the neighbours around me that it can be quite loud <laughs> when <laughs> you get a, a number of kids in a house with a mum and a dad, but it's quite interesting. So you mentioned that you're catching up on some reading. What are you reading right now? Uh, I actually just, uh, well, I've uh, just finished Peter Marinello's uh, biography called Fallen Idol. Now, Peter was a, a Scottish footballer that, uh, that signed a £100,000 transfer to go to Arsenal in 1970, but he actually came out and played for Canberra City in the National Soccer League in, in 1978. So um, I've been uh, focusing on a few biographies like that of, uh, of players that had a, an Australian kind of stint. Um, so, so that's one I have finished, as well as a couple of uh, sort of fun reads as well, uh, which I've gone through. I've just finished one called Penguins Stopped Play, which is uh, by an author called Harry Thompson, the late Harry Thompson. It is about uh, 11 village cricketers that go and uh, play games against various countries or in various countries across the world, likes of Singapore and Argentina, um, Barbados, Australia, South Africa, that kind of thing. It was quite a, quite a fun read. They they call themselves the Penguins or they called themselves Penguins? Penguins stopped play. Now, there's a little anecdote at the start. They're actually in, a, oh. in Antarctica and um, someone, a New Zealander that was stationed, they had a cricket ball and they went to actually have a, a very brief game on the ice and Penguins actually came across and stopped play. They couldn't continue their cricket game. So that's where it came from. Oh, that's, it's a great title. It is, it is. A good little, good yeah. little uh, fun and easy read too. Yeah. Well, talking of, of 
good read. Some um, let's talk about your book. And for those who are not familiar with Jason's book, it's a it's a top read for a time like now. Um, it's quick to read, um, but brings together profiles of uh, quite a few players who, for one reason or another, as the title might suggest, surfing for England, our lost Socceroos. For one reason or other, they might have played for Australia, but they didn't. So first things first, what inspired you to write about it? Well, I guess um, I, I collect Australian football books and have a, a quite a fast collection. And I, I was looking for, for something that would cover, you know, the best players that we seemed or the soccer seemed to miss out on in that sort of, you know, 80s, 90s period and there wasn't one there so I started researching it and found there was more and more players that had Australian links but didn't play for the Socceroos and there were quite some significant footballers there with pretty good resumes behind them so uh, and the surfing for England quote is so synonymous with uh, with Craig Johnson and his decision or the decisions for him not to play for Australia that I thought you know there's more than a few characters here that we can write about and, and manage to, to find sort of nine ten chapters of, of different players. You mentioned Craig Johnson, and obvious he's the obvious one, of course, and of course the title takes us there anyway. But how did you feel about Craig Johnson before you got into writing it? Did you have a view one way or the other? Did you think, oh, that was bad that he didn't play for us or you just didn't know enough about it? Um, I didn't really know enough about it. I think I've read Craig Johnston's book and uh, he had some problems with officials of the various Australian soccer, Australian football bodies over the years. But he, uh, as, as a kid growing up in the, in the 80s, he's the one that was Australian football to me because he was on the world stage. He was lifting trophies and scoring goals in FA Cup finals and he kind of put um, that on the map for, for people of sort of my era. And so I didn't have an opinion of him why he didn't play for, for Australia. It was kind of like, well, he played for England B and why wouldn't he play for, for the country that sort of gave him his chance? But when, when you go back and you speak to him and you look at the, the differing rules of the time and, and the games that, you know, Australia were playing, we were playing like club sides and sort of, you know, Oceania and Minnow Nations and that kind of thing. There's no point of him jeopardising a career by, you know, flying halfway the world, around the world for these things that were that may be, you know, insignificant given what he was doing football-wise. Yeah, it would have been quite a change going from sort of an, the, the Anfield to, as you said, playing some of the Minnows that we played at that time. Yeah. Um, do, you think, do you think that he's come to terms with that, though? Uh, probably not. I, I think he would like to... Um, given that he's one of the, the key Australian footballers that doesn't have one cap to his name. So it's probably a glaring omission to him. Um, the, the PFA, uh, Professional Football Association, put on a history conference a couple of years ago in, in South Melbourne and there was probably a dozen to 15 current and former Socceroos that were in the in the building and he got they, they got them up the front to take a photo where they got Craig Johnston at the front of that photo as well. And he, he actually said out loud, hands up if you've never represented your country. And, like, it's a, it's a joke and the kind of thing that he wears now. But I think in, in retrospect, if he had a sort of snuck in for maybe, you know, the World Cup qualifiers against Scotland in 985, for example, um, that might have made a, a bit of a difference to maybe how he was recognised. I'm not sure. Might have made a bit of a difference to the result too. <laughs> well, yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, in Melbourne rain. But anyway... Yeah, I mean, he'd be more used to it than some of the others were. Absolutely. <laughs> um, what was your biggest discovery when you were researching the book? Um, 
I guess my biggest discovery, and, and someone's mentioned to me as well, that um, a, a lot of the, the AIS type guys that we gave a football education to that, that decided to play for other countries, that there was a whole, um, I guess the Australian football public was really up in arms about that. How dare we, you know, pay for someone and then to play for another country. But the footballers themselves didn't really bear any grudges to the likes of Joe Simonich. Um for choosing to play for Croatia and, and other players such as that. So that discovery for me was was interesting. There wasn't really much, didn't appear to be bad blood for these guys to making that decision. And you can see that more and more now that players with the, well, current pandemic excluded, the, the global village is getting smaller, that most players now have a choice of two, three, sometimes four different countries to play for. But then the, the parochial days of, you know, wearing the green and gold that a lot of the people didn't really respect those guys. So I guess um, from that point of view, um, the football community seemed to embrace most of these, uh, the football playing community that is, and the coaches seem to understand and embrace it. So, yeah, I guess that was an interesting one to find out that, you know, within those AIS, there was no, there's no bad blood between the players and, and these guys for choosing other countries. And I guess the, the other thing that I discovered really was, you know, people like Charlie Perkins to me was, you know, he's known from my age as a political sort of uh, figure rather than a footballer, but it was the football that made him popular and famous first and how what a quality footballer he was representing his state on a number of occasions and, you know, coaching teams like Panhellenic and that kind of thing. So the Charlie Perkins stuff too was pretty, was pretty, um, was pretty interesting. Yeah, he's got a particularly inspiring story. And, of course, we'll get into more of that when we talk to John Maynard later in the series. Absolutely. But just, just picking up on that first issue too about uh, I think you're right, my observation or my my experience of talking to other players about players such as um, Ergic or Simonic or any of those, they don't have the same view that I think a lot of fans, including myself, do. Um, mm. Yeah, I, te- I tend to have the view that... At the, with the AIS having educated them to, at great expense, um, that if they didn't play for Australia, there should be some sort of hex-type scheme whereby they pay back the, the cost. Yeah. Um, and I, I know some people feel like that and some people don't and some people think it's a bit harsh. Um, why do you think fans feel like that more than players themselves? Uh, I guess from from that time we hadn't made World Cups for since seventy four, right? So we between seventy four and two thousand and six. So there's a big gap of years where we weren't on the world stage. And I guess the feeling from the Australian public was would have been, and I'm sure you know, if we had the likes of Johnston, Dorigo, Simonic, um, Ergic, you know, these guys through those eras, then we would have made World Cups because they actually strengthen us because they are such they were such quality footballers, especially. Uh, someone with Joe Simonich's uh, resume. Yeah, I, I also wonder too whether I think fans sort of, um, we're, because we're fans, we have that pull of the heartstring a bit more perhaps. I, I, mm. don't, I don't know. It's an interesting question. I don't know the answer to it. Um, but I, I just, it, you know, we even those of us like myself, for example, who could play for, you know, if I was a player, could play a tour of yeah. maybe even three countries, it yes. wouldn't be a doubt in my mind, I don't think. But you can, it's very hard to put yourself in the other person's shoes or boots and say, well, I've got an opportunity here and I'll never have an opportunity there. Or as you say in the book, with so many of the players of Croatian background, um, mm-hmm. it was a pull of the heart for a different reason too. 
Yeah, absolutely, a pull of the heart. And I think Ron Smith said to me as well that there's a uh, a lot of the time footballers are in a hurry um, and then they have short careers and they're not sure. So if they've given the opportunity with one country first, they might take that pretty quickly rather than sort of consider, you know, well, um, Croatia, as an example, are going to play in the Euros. They're going to play in World Cups. They're just um, they're a strong, stronger footballing nation, whereas at the time we were struggling, we were coming through playing those Mino Nations and having that one really big playoff at the end, which we sort of fell at that final hurdle for it for a number of years. Yeah, you've mentioned a couple of the names, but, you know, and you did focus on Simonich to some extent, but just going through all of the players in the book, who are the ones we really, really, really could have done with, whether it be the 86 campaign, the 90 campaign or anything up until 2006? Yeah, look, I think the, the the best footballers that we missed out on that had Australian links would be Craig Johnston and Tony Derigo. I mean, they would have been in that sort of, you know, the 86 campaign and the 90 campaign. Um, and, you know, Joe Simonich was injured around sort of the late 90s stages, but, you know, 2002, he would have been fantastic. And, um, look, Christian Vieri, uh, given he grew up in, a, in, a, in Sydney, uh, and had that Australian links. Imagine him getting us to 98, France 98 up front, making the most of those sort of those opportunities against uh, those early opportunities against Iran, you know, and also for 2002. I think those are the four, um, the four players with the, you know, the European superstars, given their, their CVs, they played in, you know, the best leagues in Europe and, you know, went to European champions, except for Johnston, um, went to Euro- Euros and World Cups and that kind of thing. is pretty amazing. It is amazing. And you, it almost would be another book that you could write a sliding doors moment. <laughs> you know, if, yeah, if, if Taxi Smith is listening, he could do a, uh, another fiction on it, you know, sliding doors <laughs> of Christian Vieri playing for Australia or something. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, Tim Cale also gets a mention, but although he, of course, is quite the opposite, he... Mm-hmm has legendary status as an Australian player, but how has the rule, why did you include Tim Cale in it? And we know it's about the Tim Cale rule, but how has that benefited Australia? Um, so I included the the Cale rule because at the, the initial time when, when Tim was being selected to play for the Socceroos, he was ineligible because he played junior football for Samoa, um, getting a, a free trip with his brothers across to visit the, the family. Um, he came on like as a 14-year-old for 10 minutes and that ruled him ineligible, only ruled him for Samoa. Now, if he's going to um, play in the, at the highest level of international football, then he wants to play for Australia and he grew up in Australia and the rest of it. So um, the rule got changed. No thanks to uh, yourself, Frank Farina, and, and you know, grandstanding of Mike Cockrell and that kind of thing. And the rule changed that you, if you played junior football for one country but you were still eligible for another, that you could play for that other country. So um, given the amount of goals he scored for the Socceroos, it's interesting to note that he didn't actually debut for the Socceroos till he was 24. So um, mm. it's pretty amazing that um, it took for us to get to, to, you know, took for our officials and the rules to change to make a difference. And, you know, imagine if we didn't have him, I guess, in the last sort of four World Cup campaigns. I mean, that, that's something to think about as well in terms of that sliding doors stuff. <laughs> exactly. It is another sliding doors moment. Um, do you think there are any potential lost Socceroos on the horizon? Yeah, there's a, there's a few actually. Um, I think Alex Robertson's probably the most famous one at the moment. So you've got a, a guy here at Manchester City Academy. I think he's 16 or 17 years old. His father is a Socceroo. His grandfather is a Socceroo. Uh, but he was uh, he was born 
in Scotland, I believe. He's been raised in England. His mother's from Peru and his dad's an Australian. So you've got four countries and, and three of them quite aggressively pursuing him. Given his talent, he's in Manchester City's academy. So he's represented which, which, in... Yeah, sorry. Which, so, which one of the four is not pursuing him? I, I don't think... Well, I... I don't think Peru would be pursuing him as strongly as as the other three, given um, where he's based in. He's based in Manchester. His dad works for Manchester City, um, and Scotland being close, but us having, you know, that could be a three, a third generation Socceroo. I know they're trying to to get him, but he would probably be the most prominent one if his if his career continues on the tra- trajectory that it is. I mean, who's to say that it doesn't, you know, doesn't change. Um, and I think maybe Lyndon Dykes, who's scoring goals in the Scottish Premier League at the moment, might be another one. Um, before these internationals were, were finished, uh, or sorry, postponed, the World Cup qualifiers and the Euro qualifiers, I think Scotland were playing in March and the Socceroos were scheduled to play in March as well, and he's eligible for both. Um, and he's scoring goals, which both countries need goal scorers at the moment. So I think Lyndon Dykes is one who's not going to be like a superstar, but he'll be one that might be considered in the next couple, year or two. The solid squad player sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Someone who can come off the bench and, and try and score some goals. You know, I guess what we, we're currently doing with Adam Taggart and, and Jamie McLaren, he'd be in that sort of role. Mm. Right. Okay. Um, well, we've, well, you're, at the moment um, you're also co-writing another book. Um, with yes. Lucas Gillard, without yes. giving too much away, what's that about? Uh, so that's going to look at the uh, the best players in the world that had club cameos in Australia, um, and that sort of goes over a number of different decades, number of different clubs at different levels, from the A League down to State League to National Soccer League to you know over in Perth that kind of thing. We've uh, we've managed to uh, f- find a number of different players some of the calibre of like George Best and Bobby Charlton and, and Bobby Moore that, and Kevin Keegan that all played out here and then a few of the ones that uh, of recent times that weren't as successful like, you know, Romario and Nicola Berti and, and these kinds as well. So there's a good mix of uh, players that came here and, and really did well and, and sort of bumped the crowds up and some uh, extra exposure and then some that didn't, uh, didn't quite succeed so much. But, uh, yeah, there's a lot of material there. Yeah, it should be fasc- fascinating read. Um, are you missing the football? Going to football at the moment? Yeah, I am. I actually just uh, I just purchased some uh, goals for the backyard for my for my nine year old boy. So he's actually been uh, constantly kicking goals in the backyard and trying to drag me out there, which is good. Um, a few things that sort of get me through Sunderland till I die. I can thoroughly recommend on Netflix as a as a documentary fly on the wall thing. And the second series of that was fantastic, so that's good. And I've, I'm starting. There's also one on Amazon Prime on Manchester City, so I'm I'm watching that one at the moment as well, which is very interesting too. Yeah, quite different though to Sunderland Till I Die. Without giving <laughs> yeah. anything away, I've, I've seen both of them, and um, yes. Manchester City's fly on the wall, but it, it's all done very Manchester City, very professional, all of that Absolutely. sort of thing. But there's no surprises. No, <laughs> I, the anyone. thing that I've noticed, the thing I noticed the most is that when they show them in the dressing rooms, and then they play Wigan, who were League One in the FA Cup, and they showed them in their dressing rooms, and they still had the old-fashioned hooks up on the wall and looked like a, you know, a 1980s concrete change room and that kind of thing. So, yes, money makes a difference. <laughs> it does. Um, how do you fit in writing? I mean, you, you've written the one book and you're now working on the second one, and you said it at the beginning that you thought you'd find a little bit more time for writing. So how mm-hmm. do you fit in time for writing when you've got a day job and two young kids? 
I um I'm quite fortunate that uh, my wife uh, allows me to have one day per week. Uh, I've I've actually changed to working full-time. My day job is actually four days a week now. So I work Monday to Thursday and Friday is my uh, my book writing day. So um, I'm fortunate enough that I get left alone on the Friday. The kids are at school. Um, I get locked myself in my study to do some research, interviews, um, you know, transcripts, and then actual writing and that kind of thing. So I'm quite fortunate. So I thought I'd have more time because we're all at home, but that just means that there's knocks on the doors and, you know, come kick the football with me, that kind of thing. So, yeah, Yeah. it makes it a little bit tougher. But it's interesting to hear for people out there who are thinking they might want to write a book that you can do it one day a week. Yeah, absolutely. And and I guess when my stuff is a lot, uh, is interview-based a lot, I try and get the subject to tell most of the stories. So, again, you have to work around when they'll talk to you too. So um, that makes a difference as well and try and set most of those up for Fridays. That helps too. Yeah, just a, a, one more thing. You've had a couple of interesting um, photographs, photo opportunities mm-hmm. <laughs> with, people yes. who, with people who are in your book. Um, yes. Do you want to talk about at least one of those that I'm familiar with? And it's one in Canberra, which I thought was just wonderful. Sure. So um, within the, I spoke to a lot of people for my book, but the one guy that I couldn't talk to was Joe Simonich because he lives in, is based in Croatia. So um, I spoke to his coaches and some of his teammates and, and that kind of thing to get a really good perspective of what he had in front of him as a player. But I wasn't able to, to tra- track him down. Um, we had, I uh, used to live in Canberra with my wife and we had a, a birthday party up there for a 40th uh, in early January. So we, we drove up to Canberra and we drove up to Canberra. We pulled into uh, a brewery for lunch and uh, my, my son was asleep in the car and, and my, my wife and daughter had gone into the, to the toilets, into the, the brewery there. And I, I saw this tall gentleman uh, pushing a pram, talking in Croatian on the, on the phone. And I looked over and I went, well, blow me down. That's Joe Simonich. Um, <laughs> So it was good. So I had a copy of, book in, of my book in the car and I actually sort of chased him down and ran around the corner and, and waited for him to get off the phone and introduced myself and, and gave him a copy of my book, which is fantastic. So hopefully he's read it. We'll see, what, <laughs> see how it goes. Yeah, it's a, it's a great photo. We must share it on um, our Instagram site or something like that. Um, I think we've probably come to the end of our time just about, but I'm going to ask two questions to close and I've already given sure. you a heads up on one of them. And yep. that is... You know, fast forward to when we're through the social isolation time and you've got people around for dinner, which five people in the world would you invite to dinner? Yeah, it's, it's a tough one and I'm sure this will change week to week when, uh, when looking through it. So um, I went for a few different things. So like my boyhood sporting idol was um, a Collingwood footballer, a Aussie rules footballer called Peter Dacos. Oh, I was going to say turn- Peter Dacos. Yep. Yes, he's also Mark Viduka's boyhood idol, funnily enough. Uh, if you grow up in Melbourne, you can you can cover both codes. So I would have Peter Dacos. His son actually is playing for Collingwood at the moment, so there's a, a bit of a, a lineage happening there. Um, the, the man that got me into the Socceroos was Ned Zelich. I would love to – I enjoy his commentary and his um, – uh, uh, he, obviously, his goal to send us to Barcelona in the Olympics and then that brief uh, – and then his uh, European career. So I would include Ned. Um Tim Rogers is my favourite musician, uh, Australian musician. He fronts the band You Are Mind, a lot of solo stuff as well, so I would uh, include him. A uh, couple more, author, I put in uh, Irvine Welsh in terms of I, I read a lot of uh, non-fiction stuff, but in terms of fiction, he's probably one of my favourites and I've read nearly everything that he's done, so I'd like to include include him. He also, he, he obviously, he's a Hibs fan and he puts that in constant 
um, he was Scottish uh, stories. He puts Hibs in there a lot. And uh, the fifth one was tough, but because I'm in the middle of that um, that Man City documentary, I put Pep Guardiola in there. I guess the success he had at Barcelona and then Bayern Munich and then now at Manchester City dealing with a lot of egos, I'm sure, uh, his ability to get the best out of those guys. I mean, obviously he's had the checkbook behind him, but still you'd have to balance the, you know, dressing players down and, and pumping them up and the rest of it. It would be uh, interesting to hear about his man management techniques. Yeah, it must be a fascinating man manager. Um, but it's quite a list, so Peter Dacos, who you're right, is a great player and actually could have been a footballer as well. Um, oh, yes, absolutely. And, and again, another one of those sliding door stories. Ned Zelich, mm-hmm. Tim Rogers, Irvine Welsh and Pep Guardiola. No women, but we'll forgive you. It's your dinner party. <laughs> well, I said my, my, my wife will probably be, be there as well, I'm sure. Okay. <laughs> and the second question is we're compiling a Football Insiders playlist. So please tell mm-hmm. us what music you're listening to at the moment, just one piece, to help you get through. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh well, good question. I, I didn't actually get the, the pre-warning for that one, but I guess the ones that are the, a band that I'm listening to at the moment is called uh, Rolling Blackouts Coastal Fever. Now they're a Melbourne-based band, very similar to I guess uh, Midnight Oil and the and the Go Betweens. So um, their most recent album, which I think came out in 2018, is something worth checking out. So they would they would people that I would include. Okay, well, we'll close today's show with something from them. Um, Jason, thanks very much. It's always great to have a chat with you and, and um, thank you for your time today and, the, and yet another fascinating discussion. Um, and that's it for Football Insiders this week. If you want to read a really good football book, such as Jason's Goldsmith Surfing for England, head to fairplaypublishing.com.au and look out for Play On magazine, which is coming out later this month. In the meantime, please stay safe, stay home, wash your hands, sneeze or cough into your elbow, don't touch your face, and please don't go out at all if you're feeling even just a little bit sick. We close with a brief excerpt from Jason's Choice of Music and we'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Football Insiders from the team behind Fair Play Publishing, home of the Football Writers Festival. Be the first to get inside access by subscribing. And to get more, head to fairplaypublishing.com.au.